Welcome one and all to the Yoga Therapy Hour. Today, my guest is Barry Risman, who's from Quebec, Canada. And I had never met or talked to Barry before this interview, and I was so pleasantly surprised. I'm going to start with a little story, and then I'll tell you what I was so pleasantly surprised about. Some of you know that I've lived in California for 25 years, and I'm considering moving back to be closer to family in the Midwest, specifically to Minnesota. And part of it is really wanting to go home and ground with the people and the land that I came from. But part of it is because living in California, as much as I love so many things about California, including the weather and the people, and there's just so many amazing things that I've gotten to experience for 25 years here. The fires, because I live in a cabin in the woods and it's on a hillside that the fires tend to come up. We've just kind of lived in terror for the last 10 years during fire season, which starts about now in June and goes all the way through October. And every morning you wake up and you sniff the air to see if there might be a fire near you and you get online and do a fire check. And I think my husband and I have just come to this place where we don't want to live like that anymore. And there's been so many close calls and so many evacuations. And as you know, we have a lot of rescue animals, which makes evacuation just kind of difficult and challenging. So a big part of why we're considering moving back to the Midwest has to do with the changing mother earth, the changing climate. And so what Barry and I are talking about today is spiritual health and mother earth. And how can we as yoga teachers, yoga therapists, yoga practitioners use our yoga practice from an elemental approach? And I do this through the Vini Yoga tradition and Ayurveda. Barry does it through the Iyengar tradition and a lot of work that she's doing around a woman named Joanna Macy, the work that reconnects. It's interesting how we both come to this place from different angles, but we feel essentially the same way that our asana, our pranayama, our mantra, our meditation, we're using those tools and technologies to change the elements in our body, mind, spirit. Do we have too much or too little earth, too much or too little water, too much or too little fire, and so on with air and ether or space. So approaching the yoga practice in body, mind, and spirit to harmonize ourselves by bringing different elements into the practice. And by elements, I mean the five that I just listed. So that's part of a connection with the natural world. But as Barry and I talk about in this interview, why are we doing that? Why do we want to come into harmony on the inside? What does that do for us? It helps us to be more aware so that we can become better stewards of the earth. We can connect with other humans more deeply, that basically it's flowing through us so that we can live our values, which is this spiritual health and connection to mother earth. So I didn't know any of this about Barry coming into this interview. It just kind of was flowing and, and we were discovering together. 
And I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. And I bet many of you feel the same way that you approach your yoga sadhana or daily practice from an elemental perspective. And why? Because we are all part of this deep ecology of the earth and humanity. And we want to try to survive together and thrive together. So I welcome you to enjoy the beautiful Barry Risman, just as I have for the last hour. Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour. My name is Amy Wheeler, and I'm your host. The Yoga Therapy Hour is here to support you on your mental, emotional, and spiritual journey. We talk about things like nervous system regulation, spiritual connection, how to be more involved in your community, how to communicate well, how to manage your mental health. There are so many things that we are excited to share with you in season five of the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. And we hope that you will share it with your friends, family, colleagues. All right, let's get into today's episode. Welcome, Barry. So nice to have you here today. No, it's great to be with you, Amy. So, Barry, I understand you're in Sutton, which is in southern Quebec in Canada. Yes, that's right. What is your area known for? Like if we came to visit, oh, what would we want to see or do? It would depend a lot on the time of year. If you were here in the winter, we have a ski mountain. Mm. And if you were here in the summer, there's hiking and cycling. It's one of the best places for cycling in Quebec and wine tasting. We have vineyards of wine and also cider. And it's just a really beautiful bucolic landscape, rolling hills and cows. We're very close to the Vermont border, just a few kilometers. So it looks a lot like Northern Vermont. Mm -hmm. I just like people from all over the world to kind of get a feel for where you are. And then I'm in Southern California up in the mountains in a cabin in the woods. So just so they can kind of feel like they're having tea with us as we kind of meander through a conversation today. So when we had discussed what we might want to talk about today, and I saw the topic that you had written, I was just overwhelmed because this is probably one of my favorite topics. And you wrote spiritual health and mother nature. So tell me about spiritual health and mother nature. What does that mean to you? Oh, well, it means so many things. And It probably means different things now than when I first wrote that description, even because it's an area of my own practice and contemplation that's really expanding for me in a lot of really enriching ways. But I picked it because I've been teaching yoga for almost 25 years, and I love teaching the postural practice. And I also really love teaching yoga philosophy. And there's so much about yoga philosophy that has helped me personally and the people that I've taught over the years. But I think when a lot of us are thinking about spiritual health and spiritual well-being and spirituality, it might seem like something kind of transcendent or out there, or it might bring us into ideas we were brought up with that we don't agree with. You know, we all have different ideas about religion and spirituality, but I think the natural world is something that all of us can connect with. There's no dogma attached to it. It's right there for us. And so for me, it's become one of the most powerful 
and I think really relevant and accessible ways to help people find that sense of spiritual well-being, which is really fundamentally, I think, about a connection with something bigger than ourselves. So when we go out into nature and we start to bring the perspectives of yoga into the way that we are in the natural world or what I like to think of as the more than human world, I think we open ourselves up to such a tremendous source of strength and resilience and wisdom that's held in the world around us. And I want to add the word awe. You know, I think when you're standing or walking in the forest or you're sitting by a lake or the ocean, there is something awe-filled about just being. It seems to me it's easier for us to just be when we're looking at a redwood tree or something like that. So strength and wisdom and resilience. I love it. And Barry, I was reading some of your blogs. I'm going to pull it up on screen for those of you who are watching this on YouTube. You can go to the Optimal State with Amy Wheeler on YouTube and see this if you want. But you have a beautiful website, www.barryrisman.com, which we'll give in the show notes. But I noticed that in your blog, which is just wonderful that you're still writing a blog because I think so many people are doing video things these days, but you have these blogs about Surya Devata. It just reminds me that the original spirituality, if you will, in yoga, especially comes from the Vedas. And at that time, there wasn't organized religion. There probably wasn't even an idea of a personal God that's interacting with me. It was the sun and the moon and the trees and the stars and the ocean. So does that influence your thoughts at all about spiritual health and mother nature? Are you tapping back into kind of some of the Vedic teachings? Well, in a way, yes. And as yoga developed, I mean, there's still so much we don't know actually about how yoga developed and we're learning more and more about that about the influences that led to the practices of yoga but one thing we know is that those notions of that were prevalent in the vedas the outer worship of the natural world at a certain point became internalized right so it was this idea of the sun inside and the moon inside and then much later with the Hatha Yoga tradition, the non-dual tantric traditions, there was this honoring of the body as composed of the elements of nature. I mean, that understanding goes back to classical yoga and that it's all prakriti, but really incorporating the body and the sense awareness and kind of the elemental aspect of who we are and what we're made of in that way and using that for practice, right? Came later with the tantric and the Hatha Yoga traditions. So I think that's really more what I draw on in terms of my teaching, in terms of how we embody the elements of nature in practice. And of course, it links all the way back to the Upanishads, where the teaching, you are that, like the student asked the teacher, teach me about the nature of the self. And he says, bring me the seed of the tree, the Nyagroda tree. And he says, break open the seed. And what do you see? Oh, I see a lot of little tiny seeds. Oh, break those open. And what do you see? Oh, I don't see anything. Right. And it's like that essence that is you. And that is the essence that gives rise to all things. So it's there right from the beginning of the tradition that the 
same energies that move in nature move within us as the intelligence of the body and the intelligence of the natural world. But in the tantric tradition that I draw on in terms of really embodying that in practice. Mm. When you say that, are you talking about like the five elements of nature, like earth, water, fire, air, and space? Yes, primarily, yes. And also the larger intelligence that the self-organizing power of life, we can think of it as, you know, in the tantric tradition, it's Shakti, right? This creative, generative, self-organizing kind of source power that gives rise to the elements, that gives rise to everything that we see and experience in ourselves and in the world. It's all, all of that. But, well, more about Shakti. well, Shakti in the non-dual tantric tradition is considered the creative and generative power of supreme consciousness. Mm. So it is the face of supreme consciousness that moves herself out into being. And so it is considered a self-organizing source power. And it's the dynamism and the creative power within us and all of life. So when we look at nature here in Southern Quebec, we're in the fullness of summers. We get to really experience the seasons very dramatically. So from the depth and the emptiness of winter, this amazing renewing power of nature, I think, is so heartening and holds so much wisdom in the way that that happens. I was just out for a walk and I was looking and just like in a couple square feet, I'm sure it's the same where you live. So many different plants and grasses and flowers and bugs. I mean, this incredible diversity, endless creativity. And then the cycles, that sense of impermanence, that it's we're moving through cycles. And so for me, the really exciting piece of it is it's about having that sense of awe that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And then the understandings of yoga and the practices of yoga hopefully help us to really embody and hold on to those moments, right? So we can feel awe when we're standing in front of an ancient redwood tree, you know, and just kind of stops us or looking out over a beautiful vista. And we know that there's an equanimity there, there's a centeredness there. But how do we really take that moment? and turn it into a practice that really serves us when we're feeling anxious or when we're feeling disheartened. How do we use that? And that's where I think yoga potentially is really the full package of how we can embody and take hold of the healing power of nature within ourselves. There's just so much juiciness to draw from here, but I know how I do this, but I want to know how you do that. How do you take sacred moments that we're connecting with this Shakti and then take that to a place where it's like something we can draw from, maybe a well of resilience we can draw from in daily life. But I'd like to hear how you connect those dots in a very practical way with your students. Oh, well, with my students, well, I can speak from my personal experience first, and then I can also share how I help students to do it. So for me, one of the practices that helps me do it is my 
contemplative study practice and reflective practice. So as you said, I'm still writing a blog. I really like to write. And so I have a journaling practice in the morning, like I know many people do. And for me, that's really a time of pausing, paying attention, looking outside my window at the beauty of the day, whatever it is. And it's like any other yoga practice. It's something that we experience the benefits from doing over and over for a period of time. And then I think the other piece for me particularly recently, is listening, just being in nature in a very receptive way, Mm. whether it's on a walk or sitting in my backyard, just like having a time where I'm strengthening the ability to be receptive and listen to nature. So it's like a practice. It's something that's ongoing. Now, when I teach classes, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll use the five elements, earth, water, air, fire, and space. And we'll look at how the tradition teaches those resonate within the body. And we'll play with that in terms of asana practice. So we can feel more grounded when we do standing poses and when we work the feet and the legs and we can do that and we can have the experience of it. And then again, I think the important piece is how we reflect on that. I always give time at the end of class for students to sit with and notice the effects of the practice. And it's just a minute. It doesn't take long, but just feeling that. And when we start to become aware of that, firstly, and then secondly, begin to articulate that in language, even if it's just in our own minds, that really starts to solidify it. So we know that we carry that principle of solidity and grounding within ourselves. And we know that we can connect it to a kinesthetic experience. We might be able to connect it to an experience of breath or a state of mind. And that kind of, you know, strengthens the ability to come back to it in daily life. It's such a beautiful example. I was just having a yoga therapy private today. And one of my students had a big job change, moved to a new place, meeting all new people. I mean, it just all good stuff, but it's very ungrounding. She feels like the roots of her personal tree have been lifted up and put in a new place and they have to grow down into the earth again. And just what you said, we decided that for her daily practice for the next month or so, it was going to be a grounding practice. And for her, that means kind of more floor work and lots of long exhale breathing and maybe some yoga nidras with a lot of blankets and a weighted blanket on and just everything to kind of bring her rajas down, her vata and pitta down and just kind of let her find the roots of her life again. So is that the kind of thing that you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. And we can think of it in the language of the gunas. We can think of it in the language of the doshas. We can think of it in terms of the elements. We can think about it pranically also, right? There's so many different angles that yoga gives us to kind of make sense of our experience. And how do you know what will bring you into more balance, right? So I think that's, yeah, that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. And I think what you said, that reflective piece is so interesting because we have the theoretical understanding that this practice might be more grounding or this practice might be more expanding, but I find the more out of balance we are, those theoretical outcomes don't always happen. That I think I'm 
helping someone to feel expansive, but it really sends them into a panic or fight or flight, right? So reflecting on how did that practice impact me? Was it right for me today? Do I need to titrate it a little bit up or down? Will it be completely different in a new season? Like you say, in Quebec, the four seasons are very extremely different. I think that reflective piece is what's most interesting to me and to my students. How do you feel about the reflective pieces? It really comes down to self-knowledge because Mm -hmm. a lot of it has to do with where's my starting point, right? Like for me, I'm more of a Kapha constitution, Kapha Pitta. So Mm -hmm. I know that when I start to feel kind of lethargic and kind of heavy, I need to move. I need vigorous movement, whether it's yoga or something else. So that's like, I know that that tends to be the way I go out of balance. I know that that tends to be my starting point. And for me, chest opening and creating that expansion and cultivating the air element and backbends, that's really helpful. But someone else that tends toward being more vata, they will need something different. So I write about this in my book, actually, that as a teacher, I don't work so much one-on-one with people. And for that reason, because I teach group classes and I teach online and through my blog and through my writing, I'm not so much of a teacher that's going to give you a prescription saying, do this if you're feeling this, because I think it's so individual. And so I totally agree with you that that reflective piece where we start to just understand and know ourselves more and learn from our practice, that is what's really empowering because that's where we're going to be able to know over time. I'm sure you see this in your clients as well. We'll start to learn how to bring ourselves back into balance. I should also say, I'm not a yoga therapist. I'm not a certified yoga therapist, though I have taught yoga therapeutically, you know, before the field of yoga therapy emerged, which I'm so grateful for because so many people like yourself are doing such amazing, really niche down work. It's just amazing. It's just so wonderful to see. I would argue that even though you're not labeling it yoga therapy, that what you're talking about really, even in a group setting is very similar to yoga therapy. I mean, I think this is the essence of it. And maybe the only slight difference is the individualized assessment prior to class and kind of tracking people with them so that, oh, wow, that practice did work. It didn't work. But I would argue you probably even know your students well enough that you are doing some of that also. Yeah, I mean, I am of the mind that all yoga should move us toward healing and wholeness. So that is certainly my intention. And so the assessment piece isn't there. I'm not so familiar with working clinical settings as you all are. So, you know, we speak the same language, right? And we use the same framework. Anyone I think that's teaching yoga as an integrated practice, as a holistic practice. Yeah. So what originally got you interested in spiritual health and mother nature? Because I would argue actually that there's many, many, many yoga teachers, even therapeutic yoga teachers that actually that's not on their radar. So was there something in your life or have you just always loved being in nature? What brought you to kind of form this paradigm for yourself and your students? Do you remember? 
That's such a great question. So the answer to part of your question is no, I was not brought up in a family that went camping or spent a lot of time outside. I grew up in the suburbs of on Long Island outside of New York. I lived in the city. I went to George Washington University, which is like an urban school right in the middle of Washington, D.C. So it's funny. I'm just thinking about this now. No, I did not have a strong connection to the natural world as a young person. <laughs> However, I think moving to the country was definitely part of it. Just being outside more, being in nature more, being where there's more open space and where there's lots of agriculture and people are kind of living a little bit different lifestyle. I was a student of Iyengar yoga for many years and my teacher, Kevin Gardner, he taught a lot with this elemental approach and it just kind of grabbed me. You know, this idea of not just awakening consciousness in the body, but working with the different energies. It was a way for me to refine my asana practice that wasn't about achieving harder poses, which, you know, I'm 53. So I've been practicing asana for 30 years and the body changes, as you know, the needs change. And so I got much less interested in going deep by putting my leg over my head <laughs> and much more interested in like the subtler, what I think of as a kind of more nuanced and refined depth to the practice. And I really found that in this kind of elemental approach. And so I've just found it to be like such a rich way of expanding my postural practice and as I mentioned earlier, I just think it's a really accessible, immediate way to bring people into connection with something bigger than themselves. That's always there for us. I agree. And I'm similar to you that I started out with more postural yoga. And then as time went on, got much more interested in the elemental approach. And, you know, the way that I see it, and I was teaching this in class last night, that when we help people come into balance, so whether they're feeling too lethargic and heavy and earthy, or they're feeling too expansive and too much ether or air, when we bring them back to that more balanced place, that's when they feel that divine consciousness within. That's when they are kind of bringing the heaven and the earth together to have more clarity, more wisdom, more strength. So can you talk a little bit about that if you agree or disagree or how you teach that part of it? Because there's the elements, but then there's, hey, remember that you're a divine, sacred being. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. It's the experience of balance, I think, is what allows the mind to quiet down a little bit so that we can recognize that. I've been studying deep ecology and the notion of the ecological self that we think of ourselves as individuals, but actually we are in community with so many other forms of life, like even we carry within ourselves. So bacteria, and we know that those communities are living within us, right? And we know that the bacteria in the gut affects the mind. So I think this is what's really exciting for me and what's unfolding over the past few months as I've learned more about deep ecology, this idea that we are really part of a living earth, like we're part of a community of life is just so expansive to me. It's like we all belong to that and we inter-exist in that web of life. And 
And so it's not just us. It decenters us. You know, we live in like such a hyper individualistic culture. And it's like this idea that I think is essentially a spiritual idea that we are really connected to everything. And Thich Nhat Hanh speaks about it so beautifully when he writes about interbeing from the Buddhist tradition. So I think that that's really one way. I think when we come into balance, somehow it's a little mysterious, I think, how it happens, but somehow those edges that hold us separate and make us feel alone and isolated and small and limited, they soften a little bit and we become more available I think in our minds, in our spirits, in our bodies to experience that larger web of life that we're part of. So many ideas are coming to my mind from cleaning out my home and unfortunately bringing things that are going to go into a landfill. Like that's now yoga to me. And it's exactly what you're talking about. Or which restaurant am I going to stop by and nourish myself with? And what are the sustainable or unsustainable practices of that chain of restaurants? All these choices, it's not a virtue signaling. It's, wow, I'm part of this web of life. You know, I've been watching the Avatar movie, the second one that came out recently. And, you know, it goes back and forth between these people living in harmony with nature to modern military and economic conquering. And the movie just takes you back and forth. It's just painful to see what we as humans are doing doing to this web of life. So those are some of the thoughts that come to me when you talk about decentering ourselves and recognizing that we're part of this ecosystem, really. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because there is a pain associated with it. I've been studying the teachings of Joanna Macy and the work that reconnects, and it's become a really powerful way to kind of synthesize some of these ideas for me. And I'm starting to integrate it into my work as well. If we have the understanding that we are composed of the earth, (laughs) that we are made of the same energies as nature, then when the earth is suffering, of course we're suffering. Right. It's like when you sprain your wrist, you know, your whole energy goes to like that injury and healing that. So if we think of ourselves as part of a larger body of earth, then we're feeling that pain on some level. And I think that is very real. And I think that more and more we need to find ways to talk about that and process that. It's like there's a sadness, there's anger, there's grieving, and it's very natural and normal to feel that when we look at what's happening, that it's completely expected. (laughs) And so that's been really powerful direction for me over the past year, uh, particularly. I've even been really feeling this lately with other humans, whether I'm in an argument with someone and I start wanting to win and be right. And then I pull back and I have this, this real tenderness and vulnerability in my heart that, wait a minute, if I win the argument, I've just hurt us. I've hurt you and me because we are together. Or when I think about diversity and equity and inclusion, and what are the ways that I'm cultivating harm towards others by keeping myself in a place of privilege or power, instead of giving up some of that privilege or power so that we can all rise together and have equal rights and equal peace and joy and connection. So 
a question I want to ask you is sometimes it hurts so much that it's hard to stay in that game, whether it's looking at what we're doing to mother earth or other humans that we love or want to be in connection with. How do you deal with that tenderness around the realization that the whole web of life is not all roses for everyone and everything? No, and we're heading toward even more of that pain and difficulty. So it is tough because as we progress, so to speak, in yoga, we develop like what I was hearing when you were speaking, that sense of tenderness is your compassion, right? The ability to suffer with and that we recognize we're all together. Each of us are not free until we're all free. I don't know who said that, but that just kind of echoes (laughs) what you're saying. So I think one thing I've learned through the work that Reconnect and the teachings of Joanna Macy is that actually our grief, we don't have to be afraid of our pain. Because I think sometimes when we feel that pain, we might get scared that if we go into it, we're going to kind of get lost in it. Mm-hmm. But my experience is that as we face our pain for the world and the injustice in the world, we actually move through it and it can actually become a source of strength because we're bringing that. It's like, we're not afraid of it anymore. We can face it head on. And there's really, I've experienced a tremendous amount of energy in that. So I think it's really great to find other people that you can talk to about this. And it's hard because it's not the kind of thing you would necessarily want to bring up at the dinner table. Right. Or, you know, there's lots of reasons in our culture we're taught to, you know, kind of be in pain privately. Right. And I kind of bring it out. So that's one of the things I love about the work that reconnects actually is it gives space for us to really honor our pain and to transform it into even greater compassion and a sense of strength and resilience that allows us to respond on behalf of life. And I think we should say that there's times for all of us and there's people in certain life situations that don't even have the bandwidth to take on the moving through process. And I think it's okay to pull back and say, I know that would probably give me more wholeness and strength if I could get there, but now is not the time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So it's when we feel grounded. So I think the other part of it is I work with my breath a lot in that way. There's a practice that I do called breathing through where I actually move the difficult emotions out. And that's really helpful when I'm feeling in a place where I don't feel quite safe or secure enough, or it's just too overwhelming. You know, you look at the news and it can just get overwhelming. There's a practice I do based on the Tonglen meditation, actually, where you breathe in and you breathe the difficult feelings out through the heart space, right? So I do that a lot. Want to show us a few minutes of it, or does it take too long to experience just a taste of that? Sure. We can do that. I would love to. I think one of my goals for the podcast this season is to give some practical application. So. Okay. So get comfortable. And if you wish, you can close your eyes. You don't have to breathe in any special way for this. Just simply watch your breathing as it happens, moving in and out. And just notice any accompanying sensations, your nose, your upper lip, your chest, your belly. 
And as you watch the breath, begin to notice that it just happens by itself without your will, without your deciding. It's as if you're being breathed by life. Just as we're all being breathed by life and sustained in a vast living, breathing web. And then visualize your breath as a stream or a ribbon of air moving in through your nose, down into the lungs, and from your lungs, take it out through the heart. Picture your breath flowing in through your nose, the ribbon of breath, and back out through the heart space to reconnect with the larger web of life. And then open your awareness to the suffering that's present in the world, whatever comes up for you right now. It might be collective suffering. It might be individual suffering. It might even be your personal suffering. And then breathe in that pain like granules on the stream of air in through your nose, down through the lungs and out through the heart, out into the world. So there's nothing else to do but to let the breath and the pain pass through your heart. And as you do this, breathing that ribbon of air in through your nose and out through the heart space, surrender it to the healing resources the web of life. If you feel an ache in your chest or a pressure in the rib cage, like your heart might break, that's all right. Your heart is not an object that can break, but if it were, they say that the heart that breaks open can hold the whole universe. So you can trust that. Just keep breathing. And then when you're ready, you can return to watching the natural movement of your breath. Thank you, Barry. Oh, the experience that I had was, you know, inhaling and exhaling through the heart. And then when you said, allow them, you know, almost like allow the granules of suffering to ride on the breath and come in. Like I felt resistance, like, nope, I'm at my max today. I can't take that on. <laughs> Got enough of my own stuff going on. But then I thought, no, I signed up for this. Let's try it. And there was such a beautiful moment when I realized, oh, it's just going to go through me out into the web and I don't have to take it all on and fix it myself. I mean, I think that's one of the ways we get lost in the grief is like, well, I have to fix it. That idea of separateness again, that it's on my shoulders. 
as opposed to no, it moves through us. And we as a collective humanity and, and earth, we take this on together. Has that been your experience of how that works? Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because me too, I felt that experience. Like I can't, like, it's just too much. It feels overwhelming. And yes, absolutely. So when we breathe it out and offer it back to the web of life. So that's the really amazing thing is that we start to see the world, the living earth as a source of strength, Mm. right? Like there's wisdom in those trees. They're helping us become steadfast and present. There's just wisdom that we can get when we're in relationship with the natural world like this. So yeah, we become part of it and we draw strength from that. I mean, I'm thinking of all the different natural things that could release that grief and suffering to. I could offer it to the ocean. I could offer it to the redwood grove. I could offer it to the desert. And this has been a theme in my life that I feel personally responsible for fixing things. And this breath exercise just reminded me again and again, like, you don't have to do it alone, honey. This is for all of us. And the thought that we have to do it alone is probably what stops us from taking any of it on and just kind of being like, okay, not my problem. I I can't do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or we numb ourselves in so many different ways because it's just too much, understandably. But are you saying there's Let's say it comes in, I let it in, I feel it for a moment, and then I let it flow back out. Is there value in that? Have I done something to help the collective by letting it flow through me, even if it's going back out to everyone else and Mother Earth again? Well, I'm not sure if maybe like a mystical or subtle level somehow, but I think what it does for me, at least, is it brings me into a space where I can become hopeful again, where I can move forward in how I want to contribute to the healing and wholeness of the world. So I'm able to do my part in a better way. What does that look like? Because again, I just see so many of us saying, I can't, it's too much. I've got enough of my own stuff, but if we all did this, it would be lighter for all of us. So does that mean, okay, you do this, you realize it's flowing through you and it gives you a little bit more energy or space to go to the rally or to pick up trash on your walk. Is that what you mean by you can do your part? Right. Well, I think there's different dimensions. So what Joanna Macy talks about is this notion of the great turning, which is the movement toward a life-sustaining society. And she talks about it having three dimensions. The first is what you're talking about. She calls those holding actions, things to stop the destruction. So that's things like going to rallies, you know, arguing for legislation, recycling, things to not make things worse. The second aspect, and these all, this is all an ecosystem of response. They all have to happen. So there's the holding actions where we try to slow things down. And then at the same time, that's not enough. And we have to be coming up with new ways of doing things, right? New systems, new ways to grow food, new ways to think about power and justice and new systems that will support life. And then the third dimension is a shift in consciousness. And that is 
as important as the other two because the movement toward a life-sustaining just society means that we have to change our values. You know, we've been living in an industrial growth society that values profit, growth, competition, and views power in that way. And unless we change our values and what we think is important and what we want to see, and there has to be a shift on the level of consciousness. And so each of us, I think, contribute maybe in one of these dimensions or maybe all of them at different times. So for me, I feel like the work we do as yoga teachers and yoga therapists is very often on that level of the shift of consciousness. So hopefully my goal is to give people tools to feel better in their bodies so they can be happier in their lives and to develop the emotional and spiritual resilience to also do their part. So I kind of see my work as on that level of the shift in consciousness, although I'm really trying hard as I'm able to, I have a family, you know, full life as I'm able to, you know, volunteer in my community, but it's like, we can't do all the things. So I think we all can pick what is wanting to come forth from us to contribute to the healing of the world. You know, it's reminding me, my friend, Amy Weintraub, who every time she goes hiking, she has a garbage bag and they call it the trashy divas. And so they're out hiking, but they're picking up trash. It's just a small, but meaningful way to take care of mother earth on your hike every day. I like what you said about, we will each find our own way of contributing. I do want to say that it's not certain that this change is going to happen. We might not be successful. We might not make it. I mean, that's the point. That's We're like at a turning point now. Yeah. And so there is a level of uncertainty. So I'm not saying, you know, everything's going to be fine. We actually don't know. However, we get to decide where we want to put our energy. And we also don't know what's going to tip the scales and make the change or how we can support the systems that are collapsing and the changes that are definitely going to come within our lifetime. So it's all wrapped up in how do we support ourselves to maintain the hope and the energy and the resilience to work toward the kind of world we want to see and also getting comfortable with the uncertainty of that. Absolutely. And I think our yoga practice can help us with both of those. Absolutely. Yes. Uncertainty for sure. You know, presence and going back to our intention. And there's so much we can talk about really what uncertainty gives us and how to lean into that. Like your client today, I think so many people are feeling uprooted. There's so much uncertainty, so much change and is happening. So these understandings and the practices that help us are more and more important in that regard. I know you've described how it is that you kind of bring these themes into your blogs, which are all on your beautiful website. You've given us examples of how you might do it in a group class setting, but I'm also interested in these retreats that you're running a couple of times a year. Do you bring these themes into your retreats? I'm starting to. Yeah, this is a new direction for me. I mean, like I said, I've been teaching yoga, asana, yoga philosophy, breathwork, meditation for like 25 years. My own path has just been pretty straightforward. Like I found the style of yoga that really worked for me. And, you know, I've kind of done that. And then over the past year, the work that reconnects has kind of pulled me 
just very strongly, unusually, actually. And so I've started to facilitate that work. I lead small group retreats at my house. It's my home studio. So I do a five-day women's retreat in August, and then I do weekend retreats, fall, winter, and spring. And I'm starting to bring in some of these ideas into the retreats, but we always have a philosophical theme for sure. We do asana practice, but it's always framed within the context of yoga philosophy and some of the ideas that I think can support us on that deeper spiritual level. And I kind of love that you're, at least the ones I'm seeing here on your Barry Risman website under workshops and events, I love that it's kind of like four times per year. I've always had this dream of like having a retreat, two or three day retreat four times a year to just watch the seasons change and watch us change in the seasons and the cycles of our lives and just getting together and just saying, oh, how have I changed now? How has nature changed now? I just love that. So I don't know if that was your intention, but if it was, I think it's brilliant. (laughs) Yeah. And also just that it's really interesting to feel the different energy that's in each season. So the winter retreat feels very different than the spring retreat we just had. But I think for me, the most exciting part of the retreats is that we get to be together that sense of connection and practicing together again after a few years of being apart, being able to engage in some of these conversations around yoga philosophy with other interested people. It's gold. It's so nourishing. And then actually talking to each other about, you know, just as we have about the difficulty kind of working through that as we become more sensitive and more open and more aware of our essential unity, we also have to get stronger in a certain way to hold that. As our compassion widens, we have to get, I think, skillful in the way that we navigate that. Really helpful to be able to talk about things. (laughs) I think especially if you have some of the same people coming back on a regular basis and, and starting to build communities that care about this and want to talk about this and want to focus on this. So you don't feel so alone on this journey and maybe like, well, it really doesn't matter. My little part doesn't matter. You know, I remember Barack Obama saying, yeah, we can all recycle till the cows come home, but that's actually not going to change the trajectory. We need a lot more than that. So I think sometimes we can just feel like, well, it doesn't matter. But when we come together And maybe you do this with like-minded people and remind each other that intention matters, consciousness matters, small acts of kindness and compassion matter. This is what our values are. I think it actually does make a difference. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it makes a difference in our experience and that makes a difference for who knows how many other people's experience. I mean, we don't know. That's the other thing. We actually don't know how your friend Amy, who picks up all the trash, like somebody else could see that and then they start doing it. Or, you know, who knows? It's like, we just can take the right next step that feels in alignment with where we want to put our energy and how we want to live, right? Right. Because the intrinsic value of that, the joy is in the journey. And then this idea from the Bhagavad Gita of Ishvara Pranidhana or the Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, where you kind of do the right action and let go of the outcome. Yeah. It's an offering and 
It also feeds that sense of belonging. It creates a, a cycle where we feel better about ourselves. We start to feel better about our world that we live in. And so it has a ripple effect, both I think within us and within our communities. Well, Barry, it's been such a pleasure to take this dive together today. I want to highlight anything that we haven't talked about. I know you have a beautiful book called Evolving Your Yoga, 10 Principles for Enlightened Practice. You have these amazing blog articles. You've got retreats. Is there anything else that's coming up for you that you'd like to share with us? Oh, well, thank you so much for all that. And yeah, I teach online also. And this fall, I'm starting a new live stream series. There'll be series of four-week sessions of classes centered around themes like we're talking about that I think will help all of us weather these turbulent times with greater steadiness and groundedness. So that's all going to be on my website for the fall and my retreats coming up. Yeah, those are my online classes now. And we're creating new live stream series for the fall. Beautiful. You know, I said this before we started the recording, but I just feel like everything that you do is such high quality from the the visuals to the blog. So in my mind, I just, I know your classes would also have that level of refinement and consciousness woven into them. Thank you. Yes. I hope so. <laughs> That's my intention. <laughs> Wonderful. And thank you for offering online classes. Even though everyone is saying the pandemic is over, there's still so many people out there that for whatever reason, can't or don't want to go into a closed space with other people. And I, yeah. I love that so many people are still offering that yoga from your own home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I have students all over the world, actually. So it gives me a chance to, you know, gives us a chance to come together. And so we do them live stream and then they're available on demand. So people can practice with them when they want. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Barry, for being with us today. Well, thank you, Amy. So many really awe-filled things to contemplate. So thank you. You're welcome. I want to thank Barry for coming today. And one of the things that is so interesting to me about doing a daily yoga practice is that I think at first there is kind of a a need to figure out who am I and build an identity and evaluate our values and look at why am I here? What are my offerings? As I said, who am I? There's a whole period of growth and development that that is required. That is a natural part of wholeness. And I would say, especially with our students in our yoga therapy school, as they go through our program and then start developing their business and their way of being in the world and how they want to show up, it's all about solidifying this identity, which almost seems anti-yoga, right? But I believe we cannot decenter ourselves and realize I am not that identity until we've built it up. I think to go from... I don't know who I am. I don't know why I'm here. I'm floating around. I don't know what my values are to 
I'm going to decenter myself and I'm going to let go of the binds that have been holding me into this identity. That That's too big of a jump. So we have to come through this realizing who we are in this elemental body, what we call the prakriti. What are my gifts? What are my strengths? What do I need to work on? Where are my challenges? What are my triggers? How can I regulate my emotions? How can I regulate my nervous system? So that's like the first half of the journey. And for most people, that's where it ends. That's where it starts and ends. But I would say the second half of the journey, and this is as most of us begin to age in our 50s and 60s and 70s, it's starting to realize, yes, I have values, but I am not that. Yes, I have this identity of being a daughter or a teacher or whatever we identify with, but I am actually not that. I am part of this web of life. I'm one tiny little part that really has pretty much no significance at all in the world or the universe, but I'm still going to try to find homeostasis and do my part as this little teeny ant or amoeba to stay in balance and to offer goodness and to give whatever it is that my little offering is to the world, because that feels good. It feels good to me and it hopefully is good for humanity and for mother earth. So I just wanted to talk about that because I think people get really confused about yoga saying, are we trying to figure out who we are or are we trying to let go of who we are? And I think it's both different phases of development require different things. And I think as we look at the different stages of life, we're doing different things in the brahmacharya phase where we're kind of building up and we're solidifying our way to take care of ourselves and sustainability and financially providing for ourselves. That's part of finding the identity. And then later in life, it's about letting go of the identity. So that's just a little food for thought. Maybe you can think about where you are on that journey. And if you agree or disagree that both are needed, I would love to to hear about that. We do have Yoga Therapy Hour podcast Facebook page. And I don't think a whole lot of people go in there, but I think we have like 700 members on there. And so these are the kinds of questions that if you wanted to go in there and start a discussion, we would love to have you. You just ask to join the group and we let you in and you can start up any questions or thoughts about any of the episodes of the podcast. So thank you for being with us. It's our pleasure to be here adding this tiny little bit of goodness to the world. And we look forward to seeing you next week. A special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.